Hey, barbarians. We're doing something a little bit different this week. A couple of firsts for us. Uh, one, it's our first holiday podcast. We're doing a Halloween podcast for the first time. And second, we're going to be doing a bit of a review slash kind of equivalent of a live tweet sort of thing. We're going to be watching the World of Darkness documentary, which is now available, at least in the United States, on Amazon. Um, it was $2.99 for us to rent it here. Um, that's U.S. dollars. But um, yeah, we're pretty excited to take a look at it and let you know what we think. And then maybe you can check it out, too, if it's something appropriate for your Halloween viewing. So for me... This documentary is especially interesting because Vampire the Masquerade was my first ever role-playing game. Um, it was the game I was introduced to when I was 16, and I played a Gangrel, and it was awesome. I did not LARP, which I know is featured pretty heavily in this documentary from what I've heard, um, but we did use some LARP rules in our tabletop um, environment. Uh, I know you played World of Darkness games too. When I, were you I, playing them? I did. I didn't play them until a lot later in my uh, tabletop role-playing career. Uh, so I was already like in college and stuff when I discovered it. And I actually discovered uh, Vampire the Masquerade via someone who played uh, LARP. But I never did. It's this guy and his buddies did. But um, I thought, okay, I mean, that's kind of intriguing, but not really what i'm into and so then i discovered that it's two different things you know there's the larp and there's the tabletop and i got into the tabletop part and uh i always played like uh, a bruja because um it just really spoke to me that whole uh class and building a real tanky scrappy kind of biker sort of guy um, so you went a little more stereotypical with your character as well. Uh, I mean, not necessarily stereotypical for vampire so much as maybe stereotypical to vampire the masquerade. And right. I think that was the difference that was important for me because before then, stereotypical vampire to me. No, I meant stereotypical was, like Bruja. Um, as a oh right, like the wallet chain and the mm -hmm. steel-toed boots and the motorcycle and the yeah, absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, for sure. But go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that at, at that time for me, stereotypical vampire was um, Bram Stoker's Dracula from the nineties. You know, right? Um, with um, Gary Oldman and. Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. Right. That movie was really influential for me. And then also Interview. Me you too. Know, in my well. puberty. <laughs> <laughs> Inter Interview was really influential as well. Yeah, so. I was going to say, like, I think for me, the stereotypical vampire media-wise at the time was definitely that, like, Lestat sort of Louis character. Very foppish, very fancy lad, mm -hmm. you know, super like charismatic. I mean, there was like Santiago and um, what's his face, Mariachi in an interview. The, Antonio Banderas. Right. I don't remember his character. I haven't seen it for a long time. Yeah. So, 
his character was pretty cool and he was kind of the prince of that city that they right. were in and he had his like his bravo that like went against his wishes and stuff like that and and all of that and and they were kind of scrappy and stuff like that but they were but still not... kind of fancy lads yeah they were really fancy they were drama nerds right you know with their theater thing and stuff like that they, they were a little more physical and stuff like that but mostly like a vampire fight was like oh you, you like fly around quote unquote fly like kind of dance in the air a little bit and then you like land and then you talk out your differences and stuff like that so so when I was reading Vampire the Masquerade, like the core book, and I was like reading up and I turn the page and I see that like iconic drawing of the girl in the leather jacket with like the the sunglasses and she's like, you know, got her mouth open and her fangs right. out. I yeah. was like, that was the first time that vampires were badass for right. me. And I mean Vlad the Impaler, obviously super badass, like, you know, but but in, in a more contemporary type right. of setting that was accessible. Like, I couldn't relate to this, like, Transylvanian, like, impaler, dictator, brutal guy. Right. You know? But I could see myself as, like, the biker. So, so because it, it made it more accessible and relatable for me, you know, uh, I got really into it. Now, Vampire the Masquerade was my first... Like I said, my first game, but also my first World of Darkness game. Um, obviously, there are a lot of different World of Darkness games. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite? Werewolf. Uh, absolutely. Right. Just hands down. Yeah. You like ripping out people's clavicles and stabbing them with it. Yeah, that was uh, kind of a crowning achievement. <laughs> playing werewolf you know where you make that improvised weapon roll <laughs> you like just rip out a clavicle and it like breaks and you have basically a shank and stab a dude in the neck with it that that was that was just super awesome i mean uh not to quote eminem or whatever while he was relating to hip-hop but like um in a lot of ways role-playing games were like my dad you know i was like kind of this nerdy kid and like i was like big and everything but i was like awkward just like everyone else when they were growing up and it it gave me an opportunity and made me feel powerful when i wasn't and that was really really awesome yeah i'm hoping that i know the documentary mostly focuses on vampire the masquerade but i'm hoping because it is a world of darkness documentary that they talk about some of the other systems as well my favorite is changeling um, and again, I think, and we'll talk about this more as we start to watch the documentary, I'm sure, but I feel like World of Darkness in general was very attractive for a couple of reasons. One, that for kids who really felt like outsiders, it gave a lot of options for playing an outsider who had power and had allies. Yeah. So you weren't alone. Mm -hmm. You were just an other side. Um, and then two, I think, especially back in the day, and we've talked about this before, like Dungeons and Dragons was especially crunchy. Mm -hmm. And so it was something that like typically boy nerds liked and it was very math heavy and very like you would have to, sometimes you'd have to roll under a number and sometimes you'd have to roll of, over a number and you had to add stuff and you'd have to like understand how maps worked and stuff. 
And so I think for some people, it was kind of like a term you like to use a lot. It was kind of gatekeeping, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because that was hard to get into. Mm -hmm. Whereas World of Darkness games offered a storytelling driven system where there were dice if you weren't LARPing. But the dice were all out of 10, which is a much more like intuitive value. Like how hard is it out of 10? <laughs> right. right. On a scale of one to 10. Yeah. yeah. So I 10 mean. 10 out of 10 would play again. And you didn't have to add any of them. It was just like how many of them were high enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think for a lot of people, the idea that you were telling stories and building cool characters and not doing math um, made it a lot very attractive as well. It was also so in addition to the fact that girls played it, which made it very attractive um, for me, you know, mm. um, it was also that I mean, if you've listened to any of the games that we've played, I mean, you were there, but I mean, just as a participant, if you notice that I really like to actively participate in the story right uh, that that's unfolding i like to be like you know i kind of make this move i kind of do this i do that i like to describe like what my character is doing i have to have more agency as a character and like dungeons right. and dragons historically wasn't like that that's how me and my cousin played it and how me and my friends played it back in like advanced D and second edition like back in the day right right we wouldn't really follow the rule book so much. We would just kind of make a badass character and then kind of like play through a story that we kind of told each other together. So as, you know, I was exposed to tabletop like that when I got into D&D later on where my nerdier friends would be like, no rules and stuff like that. And you have to like shut up and listen to what the dungeon master tells you is happening and tells you what's going on. And you tell him or you know him, let's be real, what spell you want to cast or attack you want to do. And he tells you what your character does. I've kind of fell out of love with it for many years and world of darkness brought me back into it because of that collaborative storytelling kind of experience. Right. And I do think that especially nowadays more and more game masters are running games that way. And especially as it's away from just the hardcore, like rules, memorizing rules, lawyer DMS, I think are much less common. We're seeing a lot more like story-driven DMs. We're seeing a lot more diversity in people who are running games. Um, And so I think that issue is not system specific anymore, but definitely at the time that was a kind of a valid stereotype, I think, for Mm -hmm. how the games worked. Yeah. And it's kind of like also influenced, I mean, to a certain degree by the zeitgeist we have displayed from filmmakers like Guy Ritchie and stuff like that where um and just that style and like I don't know the name of the director off the dome but like um he does a lot of Simon Pegg movies like Shaun of the Dead mm-hmm. and um the Winchester movie Shaun of the Dead okay <laughs> but the other one that he's into the same hot fuzz mm-hmm. that that style that very like dynamic Uh, storytelling style in the movie and then also where you have films like high fidelity where they'll show out they'll show a a piece of action play out 
and then like rewind it like no that's not what really happened that's like what this character was thinking he wanted to have happen in his mind and like in reality this is what took place right and you kind of have that feeling in a lot of role-playing games now, you know, where a character will be like, oh, I do this and I do that. And I like jump and kick off the wall and I like bust him in his chops with my foot and stuff like that. And then you roll and it's like a four and it's like, okay, well, that doesn't happen. But, like, you know right. what I mean? And then you kind of work together and it's just so much more fun um, when when you can really, really get into and operate in that imaginative play space right you know it is just so decompressing and relaxing for me and i think a lot of people are really keying in to that style of play mm. well obviously this has been quite a bit of intro to like kind of our introduction to the world of darkness and kind of how it resonated with us the first time we played it but let's go ahead and start the documentary and um, when we get to a point where we feel like we have some things to talk about, we'll, we'll come back and, and let you guys know. So stay tuned. All right. So we basically just got through the title credits. Right. We haven't even gotten very far um, already. I'm pretty into it. <laughs> you recognize some people oh, yeah. just from little, like, their four seconds of screen time. Well, I am a freaking nerd, so that helps. No, you know, that's the waters you swim in, for sure. So. But, yeah, they definitely have, like, legit people who are part of the the company and the scene, um, which is cool. Um, they reference the big Succubus Club gathering, which was a, a cool big deal. Um, so I'm like... I'm excited to see what they where they go with it. I like how they straight up with one of the opening title cards called out that um, it, it's a it's a game that changed pop culture because yeah. the impact was just huge. Right. So that kind of makes it exciting for me, uh, among all the other things that you mentioned. Plus, so many sexy people just right off the bat. <laughs> like, well, that's the other thing too. Like. Especially if you're going to do the whole... And right now, like, character cosplay is very popular, especially in the con circuit and stuff like that. But if you're talking about dressing up as a character, like, dressing up as a sexy vampire person is much more <laughs> interesting and easy to do compared to some of the other stuff. So I can see, like, why that would be such a big draw as well. Yeah, I mean, and inhabiting your character to that degree is just really alluring because for among other things it just seems like so much fun yeah uh, i definitely dressed up as my character when we played even though we didn't like larp larp mm -hmm. but i didn't have a sexy character so it's fine <laughs> right right well that one that one lady though clearly had a gang girl that she was dressed up as like her gloves had the like claws and stuff like that i mean maybe mm -hmm. it was like a special weapon of hers where she had like silver claw tip glove type of deals or something but like you know, I, I think that that was part of her gangrel costume, and those mm -hmm. were her feral claws. If I had to guess, if I was a betting man. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So they were just talking about the movies that it draws from, and they were showing like Lost Boys and stuff like that, and. Uh, 
talking about how it draws not only from the movies but just the entire spectrum of uh popular vampire lore and that might have been why it was so appealing to me because in terms of fiction that's just how i tend to think like in terms of these movie vignettes and movie scenes and stuff like that right and so for that to be translated to something that i could directly participate in was like was huge and i think that's why it made such a giant splash in terms of uh, pop culture yeah and for me like i was saying before definitely the idea of like playing the other um instead of the hero was very attractive and interesting and because i was a goth kid though okay yeah you know i i kind of i feel like i wanted to be but i couldn't because i was like locked into this like other cultivated persona right so i didn't have a chance to explore any of that until like after high school Mm -hmm. when all of that you know, you realize that none of that shit even matters. You know, <laughs> you get out of high school, you don't play like college football. You like you, you have that fight club moment where you're like, oh, I was going to be like a rock star or a movie god or like a pro athlete or whatever. And then reality comes in like and you realize how crushingly average you are and you just need to get a job. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like... And but it, it's freeing in a way, it, like that's why I call it that Fight Club moment, you know, because you don't have any of that other stuff weighing you down anymore, and you're free to explore some of this other stuff. And uh, so I just I just didn't get into that until much mm-hmm. later, but wow, when I did, I feel like I kind of really went into it. So. Yeah, I was definitely the goth kid, but I was also the kid like who, you know, I was really into mythology i was like studying religions and stuff like that because you know i was in that point of like trying to find my place in the universe sort of as well Mm -hmm. and so like you're saying the fact that vampire the masquerade specifically draws from all of the mythologies surrounding vampires as well as like the pop culture surrounding vampires i think was a big thing for me because you felt kind of like in like you knew some of the stuff already without even reading the books. Right. Like, you know, you were kind of smart about it already. <laughs> you understood the creatures of the night. It wasn't necessarily the beginning, but it was definitely a point at which Nerd Chic started to really come to the fore. Where the picked on kids, the outcast kids, the like nerdy smart kids, all that kind of stuff like those kids started becoming the cool kids and mm. and that was kind of like where that i don't know from my perception at, like, at least that where that wave was starting so like they were in, definitely counterculture cool still mm-hmm. like they weren't mainstream cool at that point right but absolutely. they were definitely cool in their own way like well it hadn't reached that point in like 21 or 22 jump street or wherever where they like go back to school and they have this like role reversal you know, where the guy who was the cool jock in high school is now like this total nerd. He's like one strapping his backpack and he's like, oh, look at that dork. And people are like, hey, man, we don't say that anymore. Like, right. that's bullying and all that. And his nerd friend was like ultra cool. You know, right. <laughs> they they, they kind of lampshaded that. And, and so I thought that was pretty cool. So it hadn't reached that point yet, but it was definitely the like, 
you know, again, with the splash in pop culture where it's like, look, no, you don't have to be, you know, the quarterback or the cheerleader to be awesome. And you can be weird and be awesome and it's okay. And uh, that, that sort of cultural shift that this participated in was really important because when I saw um, the Lost Boys, you know, and I'm hearing that cool music that I hadn't been exposed to because I was just like straight up all like Slayer and Metallica and like all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff at uh-huh. the time, you know. So hearing the soundtrack to the Lost Boys, I'm like, what is this, you know? And and then, and then seeing like Kiefer Sutherland's character, you know what I mean, with like the the wrist wear that he had and like the hair that was going on and stuff like that, and how he was just one of the you know he was just the coolest dude in in that show and in that movie and but he had that look he he was like pale but with the guy liner and stuff like that and putting on makeup at that time in my life is like no that like would never have happened <laughs> you know but you see something like that and it's just super alluring and you start to think like you know I'm already this closeted nerd. You know what I mean? I was like a fat kid who got bullied and picked on and then puberty happened. Now all of a sudden I'm like, you know, taken out of that box and I'm put into the jock box. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm the same person. I'm just wearing this different costume, you know? And so you see something like that and you're like, I don't really know who I am right now, but that looks awesome. Right. And and so it, it was definitely, um, I don't know, I don't want to say the gateway drug because it has such like a negative connotation. I just mean it was like this kind of uh, awakening in me of something that I was going to, that I would spend, you know, uh, many years and even to today exploring. Right. So its significance can't be overstated, I guess. <laughs> Okay, spoiler alert, (laughs) but the idea that the cover for the original Vampire the Masquerade book was just like an accident. Like they ran out of money when they were, then they finally made it, right? And they had all of that awesome artwork inside it and they couldn't do the cover they wanted, which they showed and it was just ultra cheesy. It was was horrible. Yeah, and then they're like the rose on the green marble or granite or whatever. They were like, well, we just kind of phoned that in because it's all we could afford. I'm like, that was an accident, dude. The contrast of the red of the rose on the green and the black, and it's oh man, it's such an iconic cover. It's perfect. And it's like, yeah, like that's one of the things you remember from that edition of Vampires. That cover. It has. I mean, the rose looks like blood. It looks like lips. It looks like, and the, I mean, the, the red petals of the rose itself, but like just the whole rose with the thorns and the like, it's kind of wilty. It looks like life. It looks like death. I mean, they're just, you can unpack that cover all day long. And they were just like, yeah, like it was all you could have for like, whatever. And I'm like, what? And my mind is blown with that revelation. I had no idea. Right. about that that's well and just yeah that art that's in there like that 
primary edition vampire the masquerade like oh, super man. dark art that we talked about in the intro and they showed the one that you were talking about they, they and did uh, and it was hilarious because we saw just like a tiny pan of it right like it's, it's panning up and before you even get to her necklace we're both like there she is that's her and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you can recognize it. it is so iconic it's like seared into my mind because i remember it's a full page in the book and you just you turn the page and bam and right there you're like i'm in uh, you push all your chips <laughs> right at that point and you've been playing rifts you've been playing dungeons and dragons you've been playing all this stuff and it's like it all comes flooding back in a way that like this is a place where i can do everything i've wanted to do this whole time right so it was, it was just really impactful. Tim, what's the guy's name? Tim Tim Backstreet, I think, something like that. Um, his art, just super iconic and gritty and amazing. And that guy's a hardcore badass. I got to look up his name. So I definitely remember... When I was first playing Vampire, and I could get the books through, because I worked at a bookstore, so I could order them in. But if I wanted to get dice or anything like that, I had to go to, and at the time, there weren't really nerd stores in the way that there are now, like gaming stores. You went to a comic book store. Yeah, there wasn't a friendly local gaming store. Yet not, like, dedicated in that way. right. And I remember going in you know in like i mean and you remember like when i was younger and everything it was like you know kind of goth like skater chick sort of attire yeah. right yeah alter alternating between like you know goth angel with a broken wing and Janko skater chick. <laughs> like it, it depended like if it was tuesday or friday right? <laughs> like... and so i remember going into like these what were functionally like comic and game stores mm-hmm. and like not being talked to like people looking at me like what the frick is this person doing here and it's <laughs> yeah. a girl and then like people like weirdly shadowing me around the mm-hmm. store until like I found what I got and I would just buy it and go. Like it was really awkward. And did you act did you accidentally wander in here? Do you know where you are? Like right. <laughs> What's going on with that? Oh, and just real quick, Tim Bradstreet, the least I can do is get dude's name right like backstreet like he's drawing uh draw it that way like you know i don't know sorry my bad tim bradstreet yeah but yeah so i just they were talking about that a little bit how like suddenly these goth kids started floating into the game stores to get their stuff and then flitting out and it's like well, yeah, but also it was weird for us to go in there. Yeah, like it, it didn't feel like welcoming. We got the perspective from the guy working behind the counter right. at the comic book store. But, you know, what they don't touch on, at least what they haven't touched on yet, is that it was weird from the other side, too. Especially being a girl going especially into the being store. A girl, and especially being like a hot girl. I wouldn't know about that. But. You would know about that. 
that was your experience, whether or not you were aware of it at the time. Okay. So, but yeah, it was, it was very awkward. And so it made it discouraging to get into other games for a while too. I remember Vampire was the only game that I played for quite a bit and I was interested in Dungeons and Dragons and I'd actually picked up some of the books at work but couldn't get dice and hadn't really gotten into it very much because my local gaming store wasn't that friendly to me at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little gatekeepy still. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cuz you'd go cuz I went to the comic store and stuff, especially as like the darker com- comics started coming out and stuff like I loved um like Vasquez, like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. I loved Roman Dirge and stuff like that. And so, like, I would go to the comic book store for that sort of stuff. And that was around the same time where that was starting to become more friendly to, like, your alternative folk. Um, But, yeah, at first, though, like, you'd go in and it would be, like, your comic book store slash baseball card store slash Dungeons and Dragons books and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely becoming more mainstream in terms of comics because stuff like um predator and stuff like hard-boiled had had paved the way for comic books to break basically every rule you know what i mean and 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 obviously way before that you know they had to establish the the comic books code so that parents could know that if you're buying marvel or dc or whatever that you're getting like this wholesome stuff but there were always the like black sheep or the dark horses if you will (laughs) of the industry that were like we don't give a fuck like Like, this is art yeah uh, Oni Press, you yeah. know, they they would publish, they, you know, they're like, this is art, so you can't, like, I mean, well, you can make, you know, stuff for a certain audience. You can have the, like, Sesame Street or whatever. You can have, I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on Marvel because I love Marvel, you know. Um, but what, what I mean is you can conform to that, like, wide appeal of rating your stuff, like, you know, PG. You know, or you can be like, this is art and part of that is pushing this envelope. And so, you know, and then, of course, Watchmen came out and just blew everything away. Right. Like, it can be gritty, it can be art, and it's legit, and it kind of legitimized everything. Well, and then I think, yeah, then the stuff that would have been considered much more mature began becoming more mainstream. Right. Like, with, like, Witchblade in the Darkness and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um and uh and that was definitely my comic scene for sure. <laughs> right. And then, you know, now we're here today where you have stuff like Saga, which is just some of the best storytelling that I've encountered in like all of fiction, let mm. alone comics. And it's just beautifully illustrated and it pushes all the rules and it bends and blends every genre. It's amazing. And you know, we owe a lot of where we are to, you know, the the feeling of that time. And how World of Darkness participates in that. Oh, the underworld controversy. Uh, (laughs) Such a dichotomy. I mean, at once, so near and dear to my heart as a movie, you know. And also just so 
so you know anathema to like everything i believe in in terms of how werewolves and vampires should interact it's like just such a, a bone to pick such a point of contention for me that you are well aware of you yeah you don't like that werewolves can get just bitch slapped by rando vampires right or by like i mean i can understand even a rando vampire putting down a werewolf or whatever if that was the mythology but they have just like a beat cop with like a nine millimeter in a subway tunnel like you know drop a werewolf and like what the heck is that like you know what i mean i'm like no no son no 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 (laughs) like you know you can't you can't do werewolves like that but at the same time you know underworld you know bringing that culture more to the fore and setting the stage for stuff like the matrix you know Mm. was just super like huge and cool and like big but right oh well i think like obviously there's the weird legal side where uh underworld was so like vampire that obviously it was going to cause a problem Mm -hmm. as far as copyright and everything was concerned right but for someone like me it was just like oh cool a movie that's like this thing that i like yeah it was it was more material it was more part of the zeitgeist right and especially like just you know inspiration in the outfits and the like you know this the different scenes that they set and everything like it gives a lot of story fodder and character fodder and you know it was a really early female hero with right. Celine. yes you know where she's just inherently a badass right and it's her heritage and she has that in her dna so to speak and so that was also really really cool because all of that like tight leather and latex and everything and the like crouching and all that in a very raptor like manner she just really kate beckinsale really inhabited that role and owned it and that was also it was one of the first three point landing films too well true but the way i remember it it was even more interesting because i remember watching it thinking like oh it's gonna be the cliche superhero landing right right and then she just kind of landed mid-stride on her feet and started walking like she didn't even like it was like you know what i mean crouchy sort of she she like sort of shock absorber with her feet and then turned that into like the strut with her heels and stuff and like kind of cratered the like concrete a little bit but it was was, i feel like it was one of the first times that was like in a like i mean blade did it too but i mean you know it wasn't super overdone in movies at Mm -hmm. that point it was it was done in comic books all kinds right but it was definitely like i mean and blade doesn't get a lot of credit for that for being really the introduction of this the comic book superhero movie right into the mainstream well i mean into the mainstream i mean you have spawn before that not mainstream you know no no not mainstream but i just mean when you're making like superhero quote unquote and then you have like comic book thank you galley (laughs) yeah (laughs) comic book anti-hero movies 
you have like comic book anti-hero movies that are starting to come to the fore and just it, it's really evolving so for them to participate in that I, I do like how um the documentary touched on how blade cribbed so heavily and obviously from uh tim bradstreet's art but like didn't like hire him didn't pay him just like nothing and how for blade 2 though guillermo del toro like called up tim bradstreet and was like okay we're gonna do it right this time and that was awesome so shout out to my man Guillermo. I'm gonna follow him on Twitter, like you said, <laughs> because apparently he's super cool. He's really so, cool. So I'm gonna follow him now because he jumped up like several notches in my esteem because of his treatment of uh, Tim Bradstreet in Blade Two that I was not aware of until watching this. Well, and again, like just talking about Guillermo generally, like what a font of ideas and inspiration in the way that. Oh, he sees man. the world through like the way he creates creatures and stuff like that it's like absolutely yeah i mean prince nuada to this day informs a lot of my role play in terms of drow and other elves and stuff yeah. like that the warlock the drow warlock that i'm gonna play in our next game um you know offline friend game is heavily heavily influenced by Prince Nawada. He's not a melee character, right. and he's not a badass in that regard, but just the regal, noble, like... His bearing. His Yeah, his yeah. bearing and his worldview of, mm-hmm. like, certain things just don't happen in my world because of who I am, and to some degree it exerts an amount of influence, right. you know, over his surroundings. So we're about three-fourths, two-thirds the way through the documentary at this point? Yeah, we did about half an hour left. So the other thing that we kind of watched and touched on, but we didn't have enough to talk about to pause at the time, is they were talking about how the market had started to decrease. Obviously, like, TSR was bought out, um, which eventually becomes Wizards of the Coast under Hasbro. Right. Um, And, you know, we both mentioned how during that time we were playing a lot of white wolf tons and how we got so many of our books like on clearance, on clearance yeah. i remember walking into this tiny like comic book and card store like one of those places where i was not super welcome mm. and i walked in i walked straight to the clearance bins and it was just boxes and boxes of white wolf clan books and stuff and so many of the books on our shelf right now are from those clearance boxes right like are they are they even all unboxed right now yeah they're they're all all unboxed because we have a a whole shelf that's white wolf (laughs) right yeah one whole like five foot by eight foot shelf bookshelf yeah that is nothing but white wolf and i loved the clan books because for like full price like what was it like 15 bucks nine right. bucks mm-hmm. something like that soft cover right you know with you know kind of like the modules like you'd get for D yeah. or similar the old school modules yeah right you could buy a clan book and it told you everything you ever wanted to know and a bunch of shit you didn't know you wanted to know about, <laughs> right. like asamite and right. stuff like that and like even just like iconic characters in the game that right. were like a certain you know uh clan affiliation you know 
and, and all of that. And I, and I almost want to say auspice, but that's like werewolf. But they did all the same stuff for werewolf. They yeah. had this glut of material at the time. Like the Changing Breeds book. Right. Yeah. yeah. With with all of the like the, the the snake shifters and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Who were the assassins to call the herd and keep it from being all, you know, bananas. There was this glut of material that was just bananas in its scope and depth and breadth. And as someone who wanted to be a writer but at the time had to like make money, um, seeing that this was a thing that could be done was pretty cool. And then, but also, why was it so cheap? You know, it seems at the height of popularity for me because of these movies and stuff that were coming out. Like, I had no idea, you know, that they were going through all these struggles and stuff like that. And so for them to blow it up, like, I didn't learn about them making that move until many, many years later. What move? Make, fulfilling the prophecy, making oh, Gehenna making happen, Gehenna. making the ascension, the apocalypse, all of that taking place all at once and just rebooting everything. Right. And I, a lot of people, I mean, just talk about the glut of materials and then I'll kind of get into that. The materials were, I think, they didn't make it overwhelming on a player side. They made it helpful on a player side because you could get a little book. Mm-hmm. That told you a lot about your character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Where it made it difficult was on the storyteller side because I was expected as someone running a game to have all of those books for my players and to know the content that was in all of those books for my games. And that became overwhelming. Yeah. I could see how that could happen, especially when we we're still sort of into the, uh, you know, dungeon master player sort of relationship you know it was still heavily colored by all of that and it wasn't so much the don't crawl at me don't you bark at me either stop it why are you why why are you doing this what 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 is your problem I don't even know, dude. Why are you just being an ass? It's like you know we're trying to record something. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. I don't even remember what I was talking about. Uh, The storyteller player. The dynamic, right? Like, so it wasn't super, you know easy to get into the the collaborative storytelling mode so you were still expected to like be the rules judge and be the like source of all the material and make all these rulings and stuff like that you know even even though it was supposed to be more of a collaborative thing thank you gally for providing sound effects i don't know why she's growling at me today i don't i don't know <laughs> she has a lot to say. <laughs> she, she wants to be on the episode too, I guess. I guess. So, yeah, uh, a few things, right? So, a white wolf world of darkness mmo like just based on the 
uh, test footage in gameplay and like the the concept art and stuff like that, it could be amazing. It could be like you know, it just wouldn't make any sense. It true, it, it's too big to try to confine to something like that, and that's kind of what I was gonna like go for is that you want it to be awesome but there's no way it can be everything you want it kind of is doomed to go the way of matrix online you know where you just you can't be as powerful as you want to be or as freeform as you want to be in in an mmo like that well i think for me because i would equate it kind of remember that like dark mmo that came out or was in Beta River and it never really went anywhere. Hmm. Gosh, there's so many. <laughs> like, oh, I'm talking about a specific one, but I don't know what, enough about it to get into it. Like we played it, but it wasn't good. Hmm. Um. But I think it was like, like Perfect World or something. Um. But for me, it's just like you can't. It's hard to make an MMO out of Vampire because the whole point is that there aren't as many of you as there are of humans and stuff. Right. Like that's the whole point of being an apex predator. Yeah. Is your numbers are fewer than what you feed off of. Yeah. And so just having a game where everyone's a vampire. Right. <laughs> doesn't make sense. That's why bloodlines worked so well. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you were one character and you had other vampires to interact with, but that wasn't the whole game. So that being said, you could make a game. You could make like a um a fallout you could make like a witcher you can make something like that you know your open world rpg as a vampire which has recently come out like there's you know vampire came out recently and you know um that game might be cool i'm you know i don't know about its reviews or whatever but i haven't even heard of it yeah you know you play a vampire like in you know olden times london or something like that or whatever you're like a doctor or something anyway it looked cool i think it got decent reviews you know you can have um open world rpgs as a vampire and that can work but you know like i said it's the same reason matrix online you know had to fail because when everyone is special then like you know no one is mm. i guess well, I mean, it's like they already did that. Like, that's what Bloodlines was. Mm -hmm. If you want to do that, just make another one. Right. You just kind of update it because Bloodlines was cool. But, you know, they showed some footage from Bloodlines. I mean, I remember um, playing. Secret World. Okay. This is the one I was talking about. Gotcha. I remember playing Bloodlines and was just like, it was cool at the time and everything. But, you know, now it's just, you know, oh, no, like a lot of games are super dated. Yeah. yeah. It's like watching you play Dungeon Keeper. <laughs> just like, no, oh, that whoa, holy fine. crap. Great. <laughs> but yeah, um, what, what were your thoughts on the documentary? Uh, one recurring theme that I noticed that I really liked that they touched on was how it resonated with so many people because of man people's moral struggle you know when confronted with a horrible situation the idea that you're this monster now and you have to do certain things to survive 
and how do you struggle to hold on to your humanity is a core tenet of the game. You know, like you can lose humanity to where you just become this beast. And that's been a really, you know, deeply interrogated concept throughout, you know, philosophy and psychology and stuff like that. Just, you know, ever since we really started thinking, you know what I mean, as a species. And so to be able to act that out is also uh, has a very cathartic potential. And they touched on that as well. You know, and so I thought that was also pretty cool and like just thinking back on the books how they have quotes where they tie everything together they have you know song lyrics in there they have like thomas hobbs quotes you know just like all of these different facets that all tie in together just sort of really let you experience this struggle to survive human condition in a whole new way and so I thought, yeah, that- and you never really ran the game so much. No. So like, even if you like took any of the storylines or anything and went with them, every storyline that they had um, also had a list of media, like movies and mm-hmm. books that would put you in the right place for that okay. game. Yeah. And getting in the, the right mind space for a game is definitely important at least to me you know what i mean well, and especially when you're playing something that dark right that's yeah. not always a natural switch for yeah it, it's tough to leave your you know job at like the coffee shop or like the tech support or whatever and then like go home and like put on your like you know bruja vest or your like ravnos like you know jacket or whatever and then and become this other you know, creature without kind of surrounding yourself or maybe, you know, kind of pre-gaming with with that other media. Yeah. I will say, I guess I'll start with some like negatives, then go to what I liked about it. Um, It took them a long time to bring this to a wide audience. Mm -hmm. Like this documentary was done a while ago. Okay. And only recently like we've been waiting for it to come out on amazon because even it was officially released but they had trouble getting it out on the the big media platforms right yeah and and so unfortunately because of that it's already a bit dated Mm -hmm. because the documentary stops before v5 okay um and so right now as of like watching this there's already another edition of Vampire out that they don't get to get into at all. Right. Like that other company that, that bought them in 2015 and started releasing new stuff. Right. Well, and Onyx Path is like, yeah, a big part of it and everything. But um, but yeah, so they mentioned that like the rights to the game were purchased and everything. Mm-hmm. But that's as far as they were able to go. And that's not their fault. True. It's just, it's unfortunate that like it's new, like this is officially launched 2018, but the information's from 2015. Yeah. You know, so that, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, The other negative again, and I knew it going into it. And even from like the description and everything, it's very clear. Like this is a vampire, the masquerade vampire series documentary. Right. Um, And so they touch on 
the fact that there are other games because the world of darkness is a greater world where all of these supernatural creatures interact. Mm -hmm. But we don't really hear about any of the other stuff. Yeah, you see cover art from Werewolf and Changeling. Right, you see some of the Yeah, 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 and And that's about it. And that's and that's really it. Yeah, and they talk about how oh, there's so much material. We created this whole world of darkness, but we're not going to talk about it. Which I can kind of get because you know you only have so much time. Well, and Vampire was their flagship game, and it's their most popular game, Mm -hmm. so it makes sense. The only problem is it's called World of Darkness. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, I don't know, misleading. Not necessarily misleading, but, you know, you should know what you're getting into that, you know, it's a vampire vampire documentary. documentary, Not a World of Darkness documentary necessarily. Yeah, because to me, like World of Darkness, like a huge component, like I would say that the big games in World of Darkness are vampire obviously werewolf being very close behind mm-hmm. hunter and mage right um not as far as the best ones but the most popular ones um i would say there's probably a lot more hunter games going on at any given time than a lot of other games at this point because they're so e- it's easy to make humans mm-hmm. and the idea of fighting monsters like make sense to new people in the system and stuff like that yeah so hunter games are super common uh, and they're relatable mm-hmm. because you're a person <laughs> it, mage is just so difficult to play because of how you have to there's so many rules to understand but so many rules to kind of not necessarily make up but just um kind of own you know, like yeah. make your own. In, your friends in a way. played it in a weird way, though. Well, you know, true. My my experience with Mage is definitely you know entirely colored by right. that very close knit, limited experience. Because so, you read the book, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, but yeah, it's a. But anywho's like. So those, I guess, were my more negative points. Okay, yeah. Um, things I liked about it, I really liked that it was, they had the people who were involved as part of the people who talked about it. Um, they were careful in talking about how the writer left or mm-hmm. was removed from the equation, right. but didn't get into, like, one of the big reasons the, the new edition, when it was New World of Darkness at the time, it's no longer the new edition. Right. Uh, when that came out, one of the reasons it was so difficult for fans to digest compared to people who were new to it was that because he wasn't involved, a lot of the language had to change. And it was kind of phoned in, you know what I mean? Like like all of your moon auspices, you know, like they, it was all the same, just with different names. But there wasn't well, that's really not phoned in. I don't think well, that's it fair just, to there, say. Well, there just wasn't a satisfying reason for why that was the case. It just seemed like kind of like slapdash, like you know the real world reason why we're like, you know, re-skinning all of this stuff is because we can't use that old stuff. Like you know that in in a player way, but mm. there was no way to to really connect that in in a satisfying character way to where you're in this new sort of kind of but it's the same 
thing. Well, no, because then that's still player way. Like in a character way, it's completely disconnected. It's a completely different game. Well, that's what I'm saying. There, there was a disconnect there between player and character so that you couldn't get into it as much. You still wanted to call, you know, the auspices by their old names. Yet, you know, you're playing this new game that's the same game with new names but you, you know what i'm saying it's like why don't i just play the old game you know especially because right, well, werewolves were like I mean, heck a nerd i don't think that's know? fair but i know that you didn't really play the system very much either mm-hmm. like we played and your hunter game that's on the podcast and right. there are episodes that we did of that that aren't on the podcast as well mm-hmm. and we had fun with that but I don't think you really played a lot of vampire or werewolf in the new system. I played, we played a Halloween short. Right. And I played one game of werewolf, uh, you know, in the uh, early to mid 2000s, you know, when uh, when that was all coming out and werewolves were like a lot weaker and stuff like that. And so, you know, it touches on I had a bad experience maybe right. as a concept. Because... I mean, for me, like I had a lot of trouble with the vampire change as someone from the old system to the new system because so many of the clans were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can get that part of it, like you being a werewolf player and that, like the way they changed it being a concern. But to me, like it isn't just a reskin; it is a completely different game. Like the all the way the game works is completely different. And so you can't go into it being like, oh, why don't I just play the other one? Because they're completely different. They're two different games. And like, even when people, and she talked about it a little bit, one of the players in the documentary, like when you play Requiem, the type of vampire you are in that game and the world you live in is a completely different scenario than what you play in Masquerade. Yeah. And how it was like a lot crunchier. And so it didn't resonate with. Well, I mean, that was a separate thing. Players as much. Right. But yeah, I I don't think it was necessarily a lot crunchier, but I think they were trying to make it familiar to people who were already playing games at the time who weren't necessarily vampire people so that it would translate from someone who is already a tabletop gamer. But for people who played vampire, it was very different mm-hmm. and had a lot of rules. So, I mean, I don't know. Did you play a lot of werewolf then? Or just like a little bit? Most of what I played uh, was because of hybrid games. So we didn't play a dedicated werewolf game. We had a game that had multiple occult species in it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's most of my... But I mean, I'm familiar with it from a rules prep perspective because I've like... I mean... As someone who I think I think of myself as like the perpetual DM. Yeah. Like that's fair. a lot of what I do with a game system when I'm not playing is I'm reading and I'm making characters and I'm looking at adventures and I'm seeing how I would put things together even if I'm not active actively running them. And so that's I would say most of my experience with Werewolf is comparing it in that way. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. But anyway, we're not talking about the system. We're talking about the show. Um, So I liked that they pulled real people into it, both that were involved with the process and that played the game. I didn't feel like they picked, like, cringy fringe people. 
Like, I felt like the people that they talked to were very real people. Yeah, every character they showcased was, like, really cool. Yeah. And how, like, the, the first one that they smack you in the face with is this Nosferatu, which is right. this, like, handsome, like, normal-looking guy. Yeah. You know? And then he, he's, like... Like, all of the character, it basically shows them getting into character by putting on their makeup. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, yeah, this brought a lot of girls into the fold. And they also had this huge advantage because they knew how makeup works. <laughs> you know, not not all of them. Right. But a lot of them. Right. right? And, and so I'm watching this guy get into his, like, Nosferatu stuff. I'm like, oh, he's going to be, like, one of the, like, you know, cute Nosferatu who doesn't, no. like... <laughs> you know go all in and then he's done and we're both like whoa <laughs> like yeah. holy shit a he looks amazing b he made himself super ugly but also just like had that iconic nosferatu look not only from the clan but it's inspiring material right. like of the movie of the same name right you know I mean, this dude straight transformed himself into, like, this Willem Dafoe style, like, the two, like, buck teeth misshapen things and everything. Right. And then they showed all these other Nosferatu that and stuff like that. That were also super creepy. That were also just amazing and super well done. Yeah. And, I mean, like, the guy was cool. He, he was a combination of the, the Willem Dafoe, like, you know, Nosferatu. Not, like, remake, but, like you know the making of the movie that he mm-hmm. starred in of that and then also he because he had like a beanie on and he was still like kind of young looking so he was like if 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 the character mouse from the first matrix movie was a nosferatu like that's what he looked like yeah. it's like he was still cute but horrifying and just like right. awesome and they were all like that just in a different way yeah no people who play nazis and malkavs are a special breed for sure because they're such cool clams Mm -hmm. but they're very difficult in a lot of ways to play and i think especially in the larp sense okay because they're so against the grain yeah you know and masquerade in particular is all about being with society and with the grain and following the rules especially if you're playing a camarilla campaign okay um but yeah Hmm. Yeah, I think it would be difficult to play like uh, to LARP would be tough, you know, because you have to be really careful in terms of um, like props, really. I don't think you can really have like if your character has like a broadsword or like a battle axe or even worse, like a, a gun, you know what right. I mean? Like you can't just like whip stuff out like that, even well, if it's like, and you haven't learned at no, all. No. So like, yeah, there are very specific rules about how combat is done and weapons and stuff like that because right. you can't do that. Stuff. Yeah. I've only ever heard of it. Like, cause like I said, the guy who got me into world of darkness was a LARPer and he had his like, book like mind's eye theater right. like this and that and everything. he had the book and he was showing me like the hand gestures because we would like talk about it you know what i mean we'd be mm-hmm. back behind the place where we both worked and like smoking and hanging out and like you know gross. Uh, yeah horrible gross i don't do that anymore you know but whatever i was you know my early 20s no, okay 
not everyone was perfect in their early 20s right <laughs> so like anyway and he would be telling me about the hand gestures that you do to signify different things mm-hmm. and uh, and i'm like well how do like props work like do you have all these badass things and stuff like that and he's like no not really like it's all imaginative like if you want to have like a gun you know you have like a three by five card with like yeah. gun written on it and stuff like that and i'm like well isn't that kind of lame and he's like well i mean you know it's a lot less lame than like the cops coming and like shooting you for real <laughs> i'm like you know good point like you know yeah. fair enough if you're gonna be out in the world doing this crazy like live action you know theater of the mind sort of act out your fantasy kind of thing there have to be those limitations to keep everyone safe right so well in in a a larp masquerade game i would say that a lot it's not very violent most of the time because a lot of it it takes place in court and stuff like that too mm-hmm. but um but yeah the game that i played in we used larp rules for combat Okay. And so we like sat around the table for a lot of our like discussion and talking and stuff like that. And then we would stand up for combat and have our cards and stuff like that. And we played LARP style combat for our characters, which made it easier to spatially understand what was happening because it allowed you to get rid of the issue. Like in the game that I ran of Vampire where, because you can split your actions, I know you recall that probably from oh, being yeah. a werewolf, especially because your dice pool is so large. Yes, very much. Um, and you can split your actions as, in Vampire as well. And I had a character decide to split his actions, and he's like, because it's a room full of spooky zombie things or whatever. And it was the one where he like punched a zombie and punched another zombie and kicked a zombie all in the same round. And I was like, so you're like putting both arms and a foot out at the same time because splitting your action means it all happens simultaneously functionally. Okay. And and he's like, yes. I'm like, okay, you realize that you're like splitting up the dice that you're using for each of those. So it's not likely to work. But that's what happens when you're like sitting down and you're not really visualizing those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did it anyway because he's dumb, but it's fine. <laughs> um, and it did not work out for him. But, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's a, yeah, there's a, I liked the people they had in it. Um, They did focus on LARP. They did talk a lot about tabletop playing as well, though. So I didn't feel like ostracized as a non-dedicated LARPer. Right. They Um, they went into both, I think, enough to to reach both communities. I think talking to LARP people made a lot of sense for a documentary because it's visual. Mm -hmm. And that's such a visual part of the community right or even if you're just like table topping you know what i mean but you're still doing the like quasi larp where you like you know dress up as your character character, you know but then you tabletop play like that's you know sounds like a lot of fun sounds really cool and accessible for a lot of people right you know who want to play dress up has that cosplay kind of flavor well and nowadays with twitch streaming i feel like that's how a lot of them go Mm. like if you twitch a game like and you're a decently popular stream you're probably in character yeah okay fair enough that's not necessarily who you are on the street right yeah yeah um like the la by night game that you know alpha slash whoever is doing right now with the dude who's in the documentary 
he's on on Twitter as Vampires and Vino, the the by night CEO. Okay. He runs that game for them. And uh yeah, and it's it's a popular one now. Very uh divisive because fans in the community are like, it's not it's not really how the game is played and like, you know, the tabletop people are like the anti fangers basically. They're like, can't understand a fucking word you're saying with your fangs in your mouth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of because they're the podcasters where they're like, We want to hear what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I don't want to see your dumb vampire face. Like, but like the Twitch streamers are more like the LARPers, you know? And right. so there's it's funny the little like squabbles that you see online with it. Yeah. That yeah, I mean it. <laughs> it. It can. There's a whole spectrum, you know. Like, like <laughs> we watched a a tabletop game, you know, where they were playing it, and it had the uh, the the guy, the kid from the guild who played the rogue, right? Who worked at Captain Cheesy Beards or whatever. It had right. that guy, right? And then a bunch of people I'd never heard of. Right. You know, and they're playing this game that I don't necessarily... Um, I will give you a clue. One of the women on that show is the voice of Symmetra. <laughs> That's not ringing any bells for me right now. In Overwatch? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> so, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's cool and everything, but then they show up and, and so there's like, just, uh, I don't know. The one guy who was like, yeah, he's this super badass guy and he has the like sword and everything oh, and yeah. stuff like that. But he just kind of looks like, I don't know, it, it didn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> on a lot of, and I don't want to be critical too much of anyone's like creative endeavor, especially in that space, right. you know, um, but it just, it was something that didn't resonate with me, but even even in the face of that, I still can see how cool like coming as your character to a tabletop session could be amazing. Right. It wouldn't necessarily make good entertainment for me. Maybe it would I'm sure it was popular and really well done and super cool for a lot of people. Right. It wasn't my cup of tea. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying, you know, it didn't it didn't rile me up and that's fine. You know? But I think it's something to do. Super cool. Right. So um, material that promotes that is also super cool, even though if it's not something that I would sit down and consume on the reg. Right. And I do think that one was a little character specific because what you probably didn't notice is they were all dressed as their characters. I didn't notice that, that at guy first. was just like... His character was a little bit more out there than the other ones. No, I was halfway through the thing right. before I, I realized it. I was like, oh, they're all in character. Because kid from Captain Cheesy Beard and like <laughs> the girl next to him or like, you know, I'm like, they were in character, but they look somewhat normal. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't until he stands up and he has like a belt with like grenades on it or something that I'm like, oh, I thought he was just wearing like a blue like Henley. You know what I mean? And then like, but then the other two, like, you know, Captain Assassin pants with the white long hair and like the girl like with him, they were like super in character. So I'm like. Who the hell are these two people, right. like, all in character? And then these other guys. These schmucks over here. You know here. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then, I don't know, when someone is, like, portraying a character who's supposed to be a badass but doesn't look like a badass. Right. 
you know, that's why I couldn't get into True Blood because like the main guy was just so derpy. And then like the one like um the the supernatural TV show, no, the you guy are with weird his about like that though. You're like, I don't like his hair. His, it's like, his derpy haircut, dude. I'm just like, I couldn't, I couldn't get into it, man. Like if you are playing a character like that's supposed to be a badass you have to look like a badass like if if wesley snipes when he was playing blade was like fat like it wouldn't work you know what i mean and not to fat shame anybody or whatever yeah you know what i mean i'm i'm a man of size myself you know i'm saying so it's okay in in a way but what i'm saying is like no blade needs to be like a shredded like you know, yoked out like badass, you know what I'm saying? And when he does that pose with his sword, like the tricep has to like pop. It has to like make you hate yourself because you don't look like that. Like, you yeah, know I what I mean? Like, that's okay. No, I'm but just we're getting saying hella off topic like, <laughs> over time. Sorry. No, it's okay. But I mean, I think it's all right though that it kind of speaks to that, you know, this is very influential and we love this stuff that right. we could talk about it forever. True. So I guess bottom line is, we found the documentary to be pretty enjoyable and conversation provoking and thought provoking. And definitely I would say um, a good kind of walk down memory lane of our like introduction to the game and stuff like that. So it was, it was a very cool thing to watch to connect all of those things together. Absolutely. And it's also good material to make you want want to play. Right. And also kind of authorize you to try some things that you haven't maybe tried before. Yeah. The, so it's definitely one of it goes on the list of like, okay, I'm gonna play this game. I'm gonna watch this to kind of set the mood that right. we were talking about before. It definitely goes on that list. Um I will say that I mean at least where we are, like I said, in the United States, the video on demand options for renting it are super affordable. So I definitely recommend checking it out if you have access to it, um, because it's not it's it's way cheaper than renting like a typical movie or whatever. Yeah, two ninety nine I think is pretty accessible, mm-hmm. you know, um, for that for, via uh, Amazon. Yeah. So. All right. So again, uh, a little bit different this time, but one, it's a holiday. Uh, And two, you know, if you think that our talkies or reviews are interesting and you'd like to hear more of them, definitely let us know. Um, We are on Twitter. I'm at Barbarian Rainy. I'm at Ringo Geary. And we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash justbarbarianthings. Uh, We're changing up some of the rewards uh, for the different tiers and posting all sorts of cool stuff that we're trying to do. We're definitely trying to get more materials and gear to make even more stuff. So if you want to help us do that, definitely uh, pop in there and and let us know if there's something you can do to help. Yeah. While you're at it, keep killing it.